he said something. It was like serving pearls to swine, essentially. Like he feels like he's just not what he's doing is not appreciated. And that's hard as an artist with as many years in the game as he has. So I hope he doesn't quit. Hip Hop Hustle Podcast, man. You heard it here first. He's not playing. No, Aaron's not playing. No fucking game. You got your ear to the streets, man. Much love to all the people down under. And make sure y'all follow the Hip Hop Hustle podcast, man, because they're giving y'all nothing but the real shit. But yeah, man, appreciate the intro, bro. Yeah, let's do it, man. Let's kick it off. Shout out to the whole Hip Hop Hustle podcast. What's up with it? Welcome to the Hip Hop Hustle podcast. I've got a fantastic guest today on the show. I've been really excited for this one. I've got the one and only MC. Already, it's been it's early in the morning. That's why. But MC Bravado, I can't even speak today. I don't know what's going on. But MC Bravado has come through. Um, if you haven't heard him or, or checked him out, he's uh, actually doing really well. Uh, you're doing uh, multiple things um, in terms of the Baltimore music scene, but also your. Um, we kind of spoke about this, but on your in, on your IG, people can see you are the. I think the program coordinator for Beats Not Bullets. Um, and you've got some awesome things coming out. You've also done tracks with people like Joel Ortiz in Like Kobe. You've done tracks with Pace One, Jaron Brenton, Needy Scott. Um, so you've got pr- pretty good resume going, and it's only starting to really blow up and get bigger and bigger, man. But it's an absolute pleasure to have you on the show. Pleasure to be here, bro. I'm excited. Thank you. No worries. Well, I, I wanted to start with Beats Not Bullets because the more I speak to artists, the more. I realize and the more I see is like most artists are not what we kind of traditionally think in terms of what a rapper is. A lot of artists give back to the community. A lot of artists see, you know, the the environment they came from and see if, if problems in the society that they grew up in and they want to make change. So I'm always interested in, you know, the things that you do. Obviously, it's a non-for-profit, but tell me about Beat. Beats Not Bullets. Um, Beats Not Bullets is a nonprofit music education program. It's based in Baltimore. Uh, we serve mostly high school students um, and, you know, a lot of like at-risk youth. Uh, and really we show them everything from performance techniques to like artist development and industry stuff to whatever they're into. If they're producers, we try to get them with the right producers and beat makers as guests and and help them fortify those relationships. Uh, And same with if they're rappers or singers. So we kind of use our network and our resources to customize plans for them and to continue to help them long after they graduate the program. It's like being in a fraternity or sorority or business kind of thing where you have those, that network to lean on and those resources, you know, we're constantly raising money, not just for the program, but so we could help kids who graduate the program with their music videos, record their projects, you know, because Growing up in Baltimore for a lot of these kids, you know, can be, it's a beautiful city, but it can be really hard. So anything we can do to keep them out of harm's way and, and doing constructive things we're, we're into. Well, how did you get involved? Well, I was a high school English teacher uh, in Baltimore um, until 2018. Uh, 2018, I knew I was, I was thinking about making the jump into music full time. I had been rapping for a very long time and um. I had the chance to go on Vans Warp Tour in 2018. So 40 shows or so a whole summer, it was like a no brainer. I'm like, this seems like the universe telling me to jump. So when the year ended, when the school year ended, I did that. And when I came back, 
Um, I, I wanted, I still miss working with the kids, but I didn't have the time commitment to teach full time anymore. Um, music was getting busier and busier. So, uh, there, the program was at the school I used to work at actually. And it seemed like too good of a coincidence. So I got involved as a teacher. And then as it got too crazy for me to be places, when I get all over the place in my schedule, they moved me up to a program coordinator and, um, I try to generate publicity and raise money and, and use my school connections to place the program in more schools. Cause now a lot of the people I worked with that were teachers, they're in leadership positions throughout the city. So I have the connections to get the school, the program in more schools. That's awesome. I, I always imagine though, like when you're an upcoming artist and you're a teacher, like the kids at some point find out, right? At the start of the year, they don't really know who you are. You're, you're trying to figure them out. They're trying to figure you out. But there's always this point where they realize that you're a person too and you're not just a teacher. And they realize right. that you got shit outside of school. It's like this weird mentality. I think really young kids, when they see a teacher, it freaks them out because they're like, I thought you live at the school. Um, right. So yeah, how is yeah. that? Like when they realize that you actually perform. That's yeah, that's a funny thing. It's like, uh, and you know, what really like, I, I hate this because I don't, I do like, okay, on social media, and I help people with social media, because I understand how it works. But I don't like how much this generation lives and dies on it. Like you could be the best rapper in the world. And they'll look at it and be like, eh. but when they see like, oh, blue check, whatever, they're like, Oh, you, you must be official. I'm like, don't use that as judging whether or not I'm official, like listen to the music and and judge me on that and like you know what i mean though it's really interesting that generation how they view all of that the clout the clout aspect um but initially they're yeah they're skeptical and then i i've been known to i don't do it often but i've done it in the class you know i'd kick a verse or something uh just to show them kind of where it's at and uh i think with my brand of rapping none of them were too eager to like battle or, any, or anything either like they kind of knew better right off rip with that like they joke but then they'd be like no 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 uh but i i would never like want to do that with a kid unless it was super playful anyway because you know how that goes um but it's yeah it's fun man i i feel like i'm walking my path like i didn't do this on purpose um at all like i i got into teaching English because I love reading and writing and immersing myself in that. And like, I guess somewhat like I was like, okay, this is good for emceeing because I'm constantly at it, uh, you know, looking at uh, writing with a critical lens. But I didn't plan for Beats Not Bullets. I didn't plan for this like hip hop ed wave that I've kind of become a part of. Um, but I'm pr I'm proud and grateful that it, it broke that way because it is you know, as I feel I could do more with where I am now and where I'm going than I could in the classroom, you know, as far as being impactful on the city uh, on, a, on a larger scale. So are you ever concerned about the type of music that you put out? Obviously, in terms of the profession itself, like as an English teacher, you know, I sometimes think like, you know, if if I was in that industry, it would matter what I'm saying in my public life purely because you don't want parents to find the stuff that you're talking about and like just the perception of who you are as an individual, like they're completely different, a teacher and a rapper, and neither of them are really you. Like you are like a part of both of them, but you've got your own personality. So like if I was in that position, it would definitely be something that I would be considering. 
So when my, my dad was like really worried about that, uh, knowing what, you know, what I was doing and like, so-and-so is going to hear it and you're, you know, whatever is going to happen. Um, cause they do always inevitably find out. But when I moved to Baltimore, I was at a Catholic school for one year before I jumped into public school. And, uh, that was the main reason I left after a year. I was like, if they find out at a Catholic school, they're going to fire me. Like they, if they listen to the, the stuff, cause you know, like anyone who's heard the music, I don't really leave anything out. You know, I speak my mind uh, and it's not always, sometimes it's graphic and vulgar and whatever, not intentionally. It's just whatever the record is, you know, I don't hold back. So um, when I shifted over to public schools, you know, it's nothing that I'm not saying this means it should be coming from a teacher, but it's nothing you don't hear in the hallways or in, in the classrooms. And it's kind of like, I think, I found my administration in the public schools was more like judging me for my character. Like he's a really good teacher um, and the kids love him. And that matters more than an, you know, an off color remark on a song or whatever. And they did a news story on me, like my second to last year. And that when that came out and it was positive. um, But when that came out, like the principal said, like, I'm a little surprised, but, and he was cool with it, you know? So it kind of broke how I wanted it to. And then um, I, our program is in that school right now. Like that's still a good relationship, you know? So I just owned it. I didn't deny anything. And even with beats, not bullets, we don't, we don't go out of our way to censor our students. Like um, we don't want to be like, Hey kids, you know, this is rap. It's cool. Like, blah, blah, blah. It's like, no, like do your thing. Like we're here to support it. If we do something that's for the school, like a school song or like, like that then they'll you know avoid cursing but like 90 percent of what we do we're just like let it fly like own your art and your and your vision and your feeling and i think by being that way we get more meaningful interactions we get better attendance and we learn more about our kids you know so that's yeah i think that's that piece i think it's really important to stay legitimate to who you are and to be honest these days like i've worked corporate like in big companies and they actually like the shit that you do outside of work because it shows that you're you've got other things going on like whenever i told anyone hey i've got a podcast and i re- and i interview rappers they're all excited by it because it's like the last thing you would ever expect for an aussie to be doing number 1 and number 2 for you to be working a corporate job and then this is what you do on the side so like sometimes i think we overthink it and we put our own insecurities out there first and like, at some point, who gives a shit? If they're going to judge you for doing something that you love, you shouldn't be there anyway. So I've always kind of thought that. And whenever every business wants you to be doing other stuff, it shows more. If all you do is I just see my friends and I work, most companies actually don't like that because it shows that you've got nothing else going on. You're not motivated. You don't have other dreams. They want to feel like you strive for passion. So I think these days, especially like in the, in the modern world, it's expected in a way that you're going to have a side hustle. You're going to try shit, whether you're a, you're an artist, whether you do stand up, whatever it might be. I think not being ashamed is the most important part. I agree. <clears throat> I agree. Um, I think owning, yeah, just owning it, just owning you and, and what you do. And you're right. Like, it's like that whole, like what you're meant to attract in the universe. Like if that place can't accept you, then that's, that's it. That it's not worth your time, your energy. What, uh, what got you into, in a hip hop? 
Well, for me, it was like my parents uh, weren't born here, so they never grew up, grew up with it. So I'm first generation Australian. And I just heard Get Rich or Die Trying when I was nine. It was 2003. Nice. And it broke my brain. Like it just blew my mind. And I've been obsessed ever since. Like that's all the people always ask me, like, you got to listen to other stuff. And I really don't. Like I just listen to <laughs> hip hop. That's it. I have over 2,000 songs in my Spotify. That's like I just keep adding to the collection. And there's so many versatile genres in hip hop. Modern hip hop is different from 90s hip hop. Like, there is just, you can never, there, I never get bored of it. And if I get bored, to be honest, I go to it and I listen to a podcast and then I come back to hip hop. But that's the only <laughs> thing that I really do is like, it's just, and I don't know, it just, there, there was this, the sound really caught me. Just the sound, the beats were so different to everything I'd heard on the radio. The, the feeling was really different. And then the older you get, the more you get impressed by lyricism, um, you know, multi-syllable rhyme schemes, breath control, like all those things started to impress me more and more and more. And the more you learn about it, the more you get invested in it. And so here I am now, and this is all I really want to talk about. Um, so it's funny whenever people I don't know ask me about it, because the first question they ask is always, who have you interviewed that I would know? And I'm like, I don't know. You're not in, if you're not into hip hop, like, do you want me to start listing the 90 plus interviews I've done with people? Like it, it drives, because I'm always like, if, if you think it's going to be Eminem, it's not Eminem. And if you think <laughs> it's going to be Snoop Dogg, it's not Snoop Dogg. So <laughs> like, you, it, 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 it's a little bit of like, I know what they're doing. It's like they're they're trying to be interested and it's like polite. Sometimes I'm just like, hey, you don't have to pretend for me. Um, like you can just be like, cool, and move on. I don't have to talk about this all the time. Um, it's like when people, you know, they're like, I'm going to listen to this. And I'm sure you get it as well as an artist. They're like, oh, I'm going to check you out. And it's like, you know <laughs> okay, I appreciate the thought, but like I'm going <laughs> to assume that you never did unless you actively reach out to me and go, hey, I checked it out. This was really good. I'm just always going to assume that you don't because like, I don't think about that. I do it for myself and I do it for, you know, the audience and whoever listens to it, listens to it. That's pretty much how I think about it. That's, I share that outlook with making music, to be honest. Um, I, 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 I'm not going to say I don't ever do it for other people. And I'm not like, Oh, I hope, I hope so these songs inspire people. Like I hope they resonate with people, but that's always been my reasoning. It's been the same, like it's, this is my, this is me hitting the heavy bag. This is me exercising and, and it's my catharsis. Like, and I'm hoping the authenticity of that and the common things we go through as people are what is the fiber that kind of ties it together for listeners. But I don't ever really make stuff with the intention. You know, you always get people that are like, oh, do this. Like people are really like this. And I'm like, ah, you know, okay. You know, I, I'm not going to shape my art around what you think people are going to like. Like, that's just not how this is going to work, you know? So I can definitely relate and understand that. And I definitely had that with coworkers. I, I mean, still like there's a video that I put, I, that video that I put out a few months ago by my lonely, which is still kind of picking up traction certain places and doing pretty well. Like I've had friends that are like, Oh, that song's amazing. It's my favorite song by you. I'm like that album came out in the summer of 2020. So you didn't listen to the album. <laughs> like that was, on the album you just listen to the singles that's fine but yeah dude it there are ways to kind of I, i'm sure you know to kind of sniff that out pretty quickly well it's funny because like i think we always want what we do to be popular 
But there's mm-hmm. also a little bit of like, you can't just cater to, ev- not everyone's going to love everything that you do. And as long as you're proud of what you're putting out, then that's the important part. And I've definitely had comments on like, you know, I'm promoting a podcast, especially when it was early days, when like I would be promoting it, like coming out next week is this, or I'd put up a clip and then someone would comment, man, this is the best one you've ever done. And it's like, it's not out yet. So like, I, and you don't respond because you're like, I know you're just trying to be supportive, but like, I know what you're doing. And like, I kind of appreciate it. I appreciate the thought, but you don't have to. Um, like, you can just tell me like, and to be honest, I've had this conversation with my mom. My mom is the most supportive person that I know. And she's listened to maybe half an episode total. <laughs> right, right, she's right. not into hip hop. She's not. And that's okay. And she doesn't need to pretend to be like, I listen to every episode because that's not what I need. I don't need her to be like, oh, you're the greatest. But all I need is like, keep going, strive for your dreams. I don't listen to it because I don't care about what you're talking about, but I want you to be able to do it. That's enough for me. I don't need you to be like, I listen to every app. That's that's really well put. I mean, I think it's similar with my mom. Very supportive, but has she listened to an album? Probably not. She might know some singles, you know, certain videos. But yeah, dude, I think it's important, like, with the nature of what we do, whether it's what you do or what I do, that, like, um, we come to the realization that our friends and our family are not necessarily the people that, or really aren't the people that we need to lean on to support that kind of thing. Like, it's it's fans. It's people that, genuinely are here for the content you know what i mean that know us through the content because our family and friends like no matter how far these things go your family and friends are always going to look at you as you you know like first and that's great actually that's like a that's a great thing i used to get really bent out of shape and i would take it really personally like if i had a show and it was like my friends didn't buy this or share this or whatever it's like that's not their they're not my friend for that reason they're my friend for me which is, is beautiful actually, you know? And like, once I let go of that, that helped me a lot. And then I found friends being more supportive because I wasn't really asking for it in that way, if that makes sense. Yeah. And I think that's, they shouldn't be like they, I want, I always want my friends to be my friends regardless of Mm -hmm. what I do. And I don't want you to look at me like the podcaster because I'm more than that. And I want fans to look at me like I'm the podcaster because that's the brand that I represent. But the people that are really close in my life, I don't want you to treat me any differently to you treated me before I started this journey. Like, I want you to talk shit to me. I want you to make fun of me. If you listen to an episode and you think I did something funny, go for it. It's all fair game to me because that's our relationship. So, and I don't expect, like you said, you don't want your your friends and your family to buy the shit that you're trying to sell to make a living because you really don't want to be making a living off your friends and family. It should be the other way around that your success should help them rather than the other way around. So yeah, I've never taken it personally when people like when my close circle doesn't don't listen to stuff. Some of them are into hip hop. And so they like talking about the people that I've interviewed. We just do it like one on one. Like I heard this story or that story. This is pretty cool. But I really don't expect them to listen to literally every episode. Yeah, that's that's fair. That's fair. That's the way to be. Well, how did you like how did your circle perceive your move into hip hop? Like when you quit your job, 
you know, it's it's a risk for anyone when they go full-time artist. Were there people who are, did you find mostly support or did you find people going, hey, are you sure this is what you want to do? Like, what was the reaction like? I think like uh, it was mi- very mixed. Um, there are a lot of my friends that kind of figure year at a time in your life where you should be buying a house, getting married, like doing certain life, what society is like kind of conditioned you to say like, this is next. And this is the next step. And this is the next box that you check. I've never really subscribed to that. Um, So I've kind of just done what my heart tells me to do. So I knew like I'd be met with some resistance there from them and some judgment. I know there were people that, kind of thought I was crazy and probably they're like, what is this dude doing? Leaving a stable career to do this. Um, you know, and I'm sound like I'm like 21, 22, you know, like, so there, I knew there was a little bit of that, but then there were people that really respected it were really supportive and, um, kind of behind me. And now that things have like, I'm by, and I'm by no means where I want to be by any means I'm nowhere close, but like, I think now that people can see a certain level of success has happened and is happening, some of them have kind of like now come around, which is funny and you don't call them on it, but you just keep it, you just keep it for yourself, you know? Um, so there's been, yeah, very mixed, um, uh, really mixed back. Uh, I know, like I said, I know some talks, some I fell out of touch with because as you know, like when I started doing this full time, the first year in particular, this is like year four, but the first year in particular was really, really hard. Um, Cause I wasn't getting rich teaching, but like I had a reliable check. I knew where it was coming from, you know, insurance, all of those things. And like, I was in a six year relationship, um, that, that dissolved after like, you know, after that first year, like during the second year. Um, so I let that go for this because she just never could really get with it or understand that I was really doing it. She liked it when it was something she thought was a hobby and being like the rapper's girlfriend at the shows. And then when it became life all the way, she wasn't as into it. Um, so there was, there was a lot of that and, and having no money and like having to figure that out and wing it and getting through that period of survival, that first year is just survival, keeping your head above the water. And then from there, like I slowly kind of got my sea legs and, um, and things developed and uh, it's still a work in progress with the label and with the program and with everything I'm doing, but I'm a lot more comfortable now than, than I was, you know, but every week is still an adventure. And like, we're bringing in, I was talking to a potential intern today for the label and I had one who became basically an employee. Like he's not far from being full time with us, with what he's doing for us. And, you know, this, this girl, like, I think she has a lot of potential, when she's talking about pay and this and that, I was like, this is what we call you eat what you kill. <laughs> you learn the business and you hustle. And uh, so I'm looking for a salary or even an hourly right now. Like Nick is the name of our one interior became an employee. I'm like, Nick did not really make money for months. Like, I don't expect you to necessarily go his route. I'm actually giving you a way to make money immediately but you're not going to be getting an hourly for me. So like, I hope you understand like, and that's not even because we can't pay it. It's more, are you of the cloth for what we need? And what, you know what I mean? Like that's kind of, a, it's almost like a hazing to a degree with like, is this for you? Do you have it? You know, cause this is a tough industry. Like 
this is a really tough industry and making friends in it is hard. And, and that's why I value the educator side. Cause I feel like there's a level of trust with, with me and with what I do. And like, so I built some friends that way by helping people out, but even still there's value attached to my time. I do consulting. Like if people, you know, need a bunch of dots connected, you know, like, and I explain it as like, if I'm not working on the program or making music for myself or talking to my mom and I'm talking to you instead of talking to my mom <laughs> for an hour, like, eh, unless you're really the homie, like we got to figure something out. So like, uh, but I show people, people trust me and I built friends that way, exchanging favors as well. Like, um, but man, not for the faint of heart. I know a lot of people that have dropped off and a lot of people that are surprised that I'm still going. So. Yeah. I think sometimes though, it's a reflection of them. It's a reflection of like, you know, they're not supportive because you do your dream reflection of them not following theirs. That's true too. And I think sometimes, and I think most people think about themselves more than they do about you. So they're like, if MC Bravado can do it and I that never person. followed it, then I'm going to look back and go, I should have tried. And it may not be rapping. It could be anything else, any career that is non-traditional in the sense of like nine to five, you get paid, you come home, you have your house, you have your wife and kids. And then you retire at 65 or whatever the retirement age is, right? I think that's what it is more than anything else. And they hope that you don't succeed so that it doesn't reflect them. So they can turn around and go, you see, he didn't make it. Therefore, I made the right choice. So I think that's sometimes what it is. And, you know, I think that when we realize that most negativity comes from a place within other people, it's easier to just be like, cool, whatever. I like it makes no difference to me because I know what I want to do. And no matter how much negativity you put on me, okay, you got to live with that. I don't like, so I think that's a really powerful way to just keep moving forward. And to be honest, negative comments on social media, they just pump you up the algorithm. So keep commenting. You're right. It's, it's engagement. It's engagement. I've been back and forth with people like that sometimes too. I'm like, let's keep this exchange going. You're driving the views. Like, like you're right though. I, and I've thought about that in recent years too, that it's, it's people projecting their own shortcomings. It's people projecting insecurities about what they wish they did, like you said. And then there's the other side of it. That's, it's almost equally amusing, honestly. Like there's these, this other side of it where they're like, oh, if he could do it, I can do it. And then they don't realize that you've been doing it in my case, like 20, you know, like 20 years they and they just think like, what, what's the big secret? What's the big shortcut? Oh, you're holding out. It's like, no dude, like you're trying to build like a mansion with a piece of wood right now. Like you've not put in any of the work. You don't understand how this works. Like I I'm here to help, but like temper your expectations and like put the work in first, you know, um, that's, that's another thing. Like just assuming, I know I've inspired, uh, people in great ways, but then I've, I've also made people think they can like build a career in a, in a, in a week or a month. And on that side, I'm like, you have a lot more to do and then they'll do it for a month or two and they'll quit, you know, and, or be jaded that I'm not quote unquote helping enough as if that's owed, you know, like for some warped reason, <laughs> you know, I like, I think this industry more than any and entertainment in general is about unpaid hours. 
That's what it is. Because one thousand percent, you don't get paid unless you create content, and you won't get paid until after completion. You don't get paid before unless you're in a label, but then the label owns your work. So again, they don't get return on their money until you release a project. So it's all about time and investment until it comes out. So I think people get misinterpreted that like you only have to put in a short period of time, short amount of money and invest only a little bit to get a huge return. This is not that industry. You know, if I look at the same as being a podcaster, I have to buy equipment. I have to put in time. I do all the editing. I did it all myself, but like the return will come. I'm just willing to wait. I'm willing to put in the, the years. Like you said, it took you 20 years. You've been rapping for 20 years and now you're seeing a full-time career time. Like you don't get that from you've been rapping for three weeks. I mean, I've been listening to hip hop. I can't pick up. Uh, a pad and just rap right now. I've never practiced. I've never done it. So temper expectations. And I think the point you said is like, everyone's willing to help a little bit, but like, we're not going to hold your hand. Like, I'm going to tell you kind of the, what worked for me and my story, but like at some point you got to be the one who's motivated enough, not just me going, all right, next step. All right, next step. All right, next step. Want that and and their journey is not going to be the same as your journey. That's the other part I emphasize. Like what works for me or you may not exactly work for them. Where the landscape of the industry or everything might be different by the time they're to a certain step. You know, like so it's like yeah, they do have to prove that to themselves and and like really find the metal to like go through with it. And that it is it has been like that with some people I know that they want all the all of that right away and i'm like this is not how this is going to work a i'm not capable of just pulling you to that point but b like even if i was like show me like show me you you want it you know i don't know i i love this shit too much to just um i i guess it's like some jedi shit in a way you know what i mean like you want to be in this club like eh, are you you know are you there i don't know i'm like i i talk to people and i try to be uplifting even with the kids and the program, like I'm very compliment sandwich, like with them, you know, I'm like, this is great, but do this, think about this, be realistic about this, but this is also awesome. And like, it's all from the heart and it's all real, but like, I don't want to blow smoke and sell them BS and not act like this is a hard road um, with a lot of landmines. And the other thing we're doing with the program for that reason is like, not all these kids are going to be in the music industry. So we're working on like financial literacy skills and like partnerships with organizations that can help us that way. Um, same with like entrepreneurship. So like, even if it's not music, they have skills they can create jobs with in the community or like take forward and like, or maybe if they're not the rapper themselves, maybe they're the person that's doing the marketing and like the finance, side, like to build their own wealth you know, through music, even if it's not them as the artist, like we're trying to like get as versatile as we can um, to make it work for as many kids as possible while being, re you know, tempering, it's a fine line, right. Between motivating and tempering expectations. It's a tough one to walk, but I feel like that's what we do pretty well. I think it is pretty, I think it's tough for everyone. Like I've struggled with it myself. I have a dream of like where I want to be and like, you know, how rich I want to be and how successful and well-known, whatever it might be, right? I have all those 
dreams, but then also the reality of like, all right, but you're not there. So you got to, that's the dream. That's the achievement that you want to have. But like, how willing are you to get there? And that is the ultimate question. Like, all right, everyone wants it. If you could wave a, wave a magic wand, I think everybody would be like, give me the billion dollars, make me famous, maybe not famous, but make me like, you know, successful, happy, well off, all that shit. But at some point it comes at work. But I was actually going to ask, because you bring up like the financial literacy, how do you find financial literacy in schools? I know I have my opinion on it here in Australia, but how is it in the States or in Baltimore? It's it's pretty lacking, man. I mean, I, I feel like I hate that they're teaching like, you know, anything past algebra and math in high school. You know what I mean? Like to me, like unless you're going to go into a field that requires a calculus or anything like like they should be learning. They should be getting like business math and financial literacy pieces like by the time they're in 10th grade, 11th grade. And they're they're not. I mean, it has to be it has to be supplemental stuff. And if it's there it might be like an extracurricular thing that they do after they're done with their work. Like it's not to my knowledge, like I granted, I did walk away in 2018, but to my knowledge, it's not like a staple in the curriculum. And I don't understand why it wouldn't be, especially because so many of them at 17, 18 are making that decision to take loans for college and stuff without knowing any of the implications that come with it. You know, if they're not getting, they can, you know how that goes. You can get the lip service and sign the paper and, and take the money and not know the consequence. So like, I don't know. I I'm not, that's why, like, I feel like with this program, if we could leverage like, Hey, studio time and a music video, but you got to complete this module first and talk to me about it. Like that's a nice key to like, you know, impart it on more kids, but we have a long, long way to go. And it's, it's tough. It's a, it's an uphill battle. Like, I mean, even I don't know. I feel for my friends who are still teaching in the city, to be honest, like it's, it's, it's a lot on them. Um, even through COVID without having the proper technology and resources to like do remote learning effectively. And a lot was lost there. Um, so we're trying to do our part and, and, you know, raise the money needed to like make that more widespread. How was it in Australia? Pretty bad as well. Um, yeah. I used to work for a bank. I used to sell credit card, personal loans, and then I moved into selling home loans. Most of the people I spoke to had no idea. I think the average national debt was like $3,000 in credit card debt across everybody. And now taking into account, a lot of people don't have any debt in the sense of like recurring debt. So like I've got a credit card myself, I pay it off every single month. So I don't have recurring debt in the sense that it's literally just interest that I'm being charged. So the last time I checked in, it was like eight years ago. I have a feeling it would have gone up because of COVID and, and spending. But the the general feeling that I got is that people don't understand how debt works at all, how credit cards work at all. Um, and I only learned because I started working at a bank. So they teach you because you need to understand the products to then sell them. But um, yeah, there were lots of scenarios where the customer would come and they'd be like, they have so much debt already and they want to get more. And I'm like, what are you doing? Like you already <laughs> have three credit cards that you maxed out. Why are you trying to get another one? I know it, it doesn't make any sense. Or like there, I had a guy once and he said this to me, he, he maxed out his credit card and he wanted more money. And I'm like, man, you spent all the money already. And he's like, what do you care? It's my money. And I'm like, no, it's not. 
it's my <laughs> money. It's the bank's money. You don't, that's not yours. You owe us that now. So like they, it, it was just the basic understanding of how normal debt works. And, and I was just like to him, like, man, imagine I lent you five grand. You spend it all. You haven't paid me back. Do you think I would give you more? Or let's do the other way around. I, you gave me 5K. I spent it all. I haven't given you any. And now I'm, I'm asking for another 5K. Would you give me more money? No, you wouldn't. So don't come back with your hands out. But I think it's just about understanding the value of money in terms of, and, you know, CPI, things like inflation, things that like your savings account only gives you like two and a half percent return. But then your interest rate in a credit card is like 20%. There's simple maths there. So, you know, that you that you're getting charged. So understanding these things people had no idea about. And I still love credit cards. I think they're an amazing product. But if you have no idea how to leverage them and use them, they're not for you. You need to learn these things first. And I 100 percent agree it starts at school. It starts at like, okay, but the society doesn't work that way because banks need to make revenue. And I think that the world and government actually needs to have people in debt because you need workers. You also need people to buy shit because it keeps the economy stimulating, all that kind of stuff. So I think there's it's, it's a deeper rooted issue rather than just teach people because I think if we really wanted to, we could. We'll just mandate well, yeah. schools. It's not in their best interest for everybody to be well. Yeah, you just, you hit it on the head. Exactly. Like, I was fortunate to have a dad who was telling, you know, like, no, use this strictly for your gas and strictly for this bill and then pay it off. And like that, I had a friend in school who called his credit card his free item rectangle. I was like, that is not how that works. <laughs> you know, like, no, sir. You know, you, you don't get that. For years afterwards, you're paying 20% interest on 10 grand for years like you just end up paying minimum interest repayments. You're not even paying the principal, i.e. the 10,000. It's 10K plus 20%. And if your minimum is like $100, you're paying interest. That's all you're paying. And you owe that 10 grand for pretty much forever, unless you start making big lump repayments. So again, these are things people don't understand. It's, it's like, but I feel bad for them. It's not their fault in the sense that, you know, no one's taught you. You can't expect everybody to know things that they're not taught. But at the same time, the internet's a pretty powerful thing. So I would Google a lot of the shit before I get anything. Um, and if you don't have self-control, don't get a credit card. Literally, just don't do it. Yeah, it, it's it's the other issue, obviously, is a, a common one is like this thinking you're entitled to like crazy frivolous spending, like all these luxury items and vacations when you like haven't accrued enough wealth to really handle that. And that's, that's a common thing. Like the entitlement, like the pervading entitlement and that, and that one hand washes the other then with the access to that kind of thing that gives you the, the way to that entitlement that, you know, kind of uh, gives you the ability to get there. I mean, that what we're speaking on is exactly, that was the reason we started our label, like uh, on an independent, like releasing music independently, because we don't want to owe, we don't want to take like, a glorified loan essentially and owe anybody for our masters or like we want to have everything ourselves brick by brick like collect 100 percent on our music like that's that's that line of thinking you know going the long way if i wanted to take a deal 
I probably could have signed a lucrative deal a year ago or two years ago. And, but I'd still, I'd owe someone now in the industry. You know what I mean? I'd be, I'd still be paying that back and like working for someone else. Like I've been wholly independent to avoid that kind of thing, you know, but yeah, it starts at school and I don't think it's going to end up in school anytime soon, to be honest. So we try to do it through the program and programs like us. Having said that, neither you or I are financial advisors. So don't listen to our advice. Speak to someone who knows the shit. This is how I cover myself. I was always told, cover yourself. Like, this is purely my opinion as individual. Like, just because I worked at a bank doesn't mean I'm right. Um, And at the end of the day, you know, I've always believed that, you know, loans are good. I mean, to buy houses, to to buy stuff. Like, again, if you utilize it correctly, you can actually do a lot with it. So I think, you know, debt is not a bad thing. It's just bad when you don't understand what's happening. But like, yeah, I think the more we talk about these things, the more we, and I talk, talked about it with friends. My friends used to call me half man, half bank. Cause I used to just, I was obsessed <laughs> about talking about it. I was talking about it nine to five every single day. So it just becomes habit of like wanting to talk about it. But um, yeah, I think just even small time, like small talks, um, with with people just bringing it back because I think in a weird way as a society we don't talk about money and I've never really understood that where like you know you can't ask people how much they earn people are very private about it and I think that has added to this element of like money is a taboo topic when it really shouldn't be we really need to talk more about it like I'm happy talking about that with my friends because I want to know, number one, how much they're earning so I know how much I should be earning. You know, sometimes you get a shit deal and you don't know it's a shit deal until somebody else is like, hey, you should have got a better deal. So communication is important when it comes to money. I'm not saying like plaster it out on the internet, but I think it's important to like share with your peers, people that you trust so that you can, you know, build a network of like, all right, we're all elevating each other. Oh, 1,000%. We, and we, we took you know, we had a small loan situation when we were making the living game album. That's, you know, like I, I'm not, I'm not entirely against loans myself and I'm with you that we're not, we got to cover our tracks and say, you know, uh, we're, you know, consult the experts and, and all of that. But like, even down to the advanced thing that I was just saying, like, I wouldn't necessarily swear off in advance with where I am now because I know I built a level of infrastructure and I know exactly how I would spend that money. And I know exactly how I'd recoup that money. But if you came to me 10 years ago with a 50K advance, I probably would have not wasted it, but I would have spent it on all kinds of things that I now can do in-house. Whereas now the vast majority of that money would be spent on the necessities and the marketing. And there'd be a way that I could using data, like hard data, tangible stuff that I have and metrics, I'd know how to recoup it and when. So like that, I'm not against the advance now necessarily, but I thought I was ready for one a decade ago and I was not, you know what I mean? So it's like, that's the scary part. And, and that, you know, in music, that's another reason it's important in music is to have that tough conversation with the artist that may think they're ready to borrow that and then say, well, what's your plan for this? Oh, and how are you going to recoup that? And what's your plan for this? And if they don't have most of those answers, okay, let's think about building this up before we're, we're borrowing a mass sum like that. And, you know, that, so I'm with you. I'm with you that not all loans are bad. And it's it's about the conversation and the education. And hopefully we get to a place, even in the music, I know the tools are there in the music industry, but not everybody knows where to look. And 
you know, beats, not bullets, uh, is that's, that's a big thing that we're, we're trying to get out there is, is that piece. Uh, we, there is a bank near us that is interested in partnering, but it's when we get this documentary we're working on ready. Um, so we are kind of in a, a bit of a holding pattern until we have the edits, um, on the pilot to, to kind of get that partnership going. But I feel like I could, I could talk about this piece all day. <laughs> Same. I think it's what happens when you have an educator and someone who worked at a bank together talking about a common yeah. issue we both agree on that it's like, it was just, I was, I was, as you were talking, I was like, how did we end up talking about financial literacy? And it's just cause like, we both care about it. That's literally what it is. But um, yeah, moving away from financial literacy, because then <laughs> this will talk, turn into a financial education podcast, which maybe you're more qualified to talk about it than I am, but um, not really what I've branded this to be. But to be honest, like we said at the beginning, who gives a shit? This is my show. I talk about whatever I want. <laughs> um, but talk to me about like the process of a documentary because- is this being like looked at by Netflix or is it going completely independent? Do you have like a streaming service that's starting to, you know, support it? We've, so we've got, there are two larger, I can't say their names, but there are two larger like hip hop platforms that are interested on the, I, I want two versions of this, right? I want the short form version. That's the 10 to 15 minute type episodes. And that we're pitching to like two of the bigger names in hip hop media. And then I want a long form version and we're further away from that. And that would be the one that I would shoot at Netflix, Hulu, you know, like the two hour version of it. Um, I want a long form doc and I want the, the chunked episodes. The pilot, we're doing the last, which should be the last of the shooting tomorrow. And then we have some voice work to do. But I, with the documentary, it's kind of like... Um, what I've always heard about it. It's like, we started shooting with our summer program last summer. So essentially about a year ago, we just kind of been letting the cameras roll in different capacities and the story begins to tell itself, right? Like you find those, those common threads and start to build around it, but it comes from just shooting. Like when we started shooting, we didn't, it was just, okay, little highlight videos, like, to promote the program and, the, and capture what we're doing over the summer. And then as we just let that roll with every, every event that we do and different sessions, it, it starts to take shape. And now it's become um, more about the city, you know, Baltimore as a, as a city and these individual stories of some of our students, of our director, uh, you know, who is a respected figure in the community, hip hop here and politically um, he's involved in like the ceasefire movement, which is a, Basically, literally, they say, like, nobody kill anybody for 48 hours, you know? I know that sounds ridiculous, but, like, the violence can be that bad here that it, it, it takes that kind of public unity to prevent murder from happening in this city for even a couple days, right? So we, it's telling his story. It's telling everyone's story. But, like, I, it's funny you say that because, like, in terms of the process, because I... I record that way now. Like I do albums that way now where I just record a bunch and then the story tells itself and I piece it together. Whereas I used to do the inverse of that, like documentary style is shoot piece together. But like when you're making a film, like a feature film, that's how I used to make albums. I used to outline and this scene and this concept and I'd fill it in. I, then I would record it 
and okay, this works for this. And I'd fill it in. Now I'm doing like the opposite process, which is just letting it fly and then finding the story organically. Cause it always presents itself with what you're going through in your life or what you're going for. So to uh, just how analogous it is to different types of film, I'm really fascinated by that. Do you find freedom in that doing it that way? Because it's less like restrained by a structure. Yeah. Yeah. It's good fun, man. Cause it's like, then you even like, I have a series I'm working on. Like I'm hoping to put the first one out in the next few months, but it's like, I called it like minestrone, you know, like the soup, because that's traditionally like what's, well, at least my dad told me this, but my family's Italian, but they were saying it's like what's left over in the kitchen from the guard, like the, the stuff that you throw in a pot and it still tastes good. So like I have all of these projects after I do the documentary style writing and recording I have these projects that inform themselves, multiple projects, but then I have my leftovers and now my leftovers are going to be that minestrone series. So it's like finding a home for, for everything. And it's, yeah, I feel less constricted. Like when I made albums the other way, it felt more like work. And I'm not saying I don't return, I return there here and there, right? Like I might, I might not be consciously doing it, but say I'm making an album and it's about anxiety. Right. And like if I make the album about anxiety and eight of the songs are done, I might then say, okay, here's what I need here and here's what I need here and kind of make it a hybrid process to finish it. Right. There's not a right way and a wrong way. But like I find as I have so much more to do on the business side, which is the case with running the label and being involved in running the program, that the most freeing music is still a fun way to do it is just to do what I like to do and have a thousand pots on the stove at the same time. And like, whatever's done first is, is the project, you know? So that's kind of how are you going to call it. Is, are you going to call it? Uh, I always say minestrone, but whether it's minestrone, I don't know, but like, I think Aussie say minestrone, but like, I think that's an awesome name for a project. Just minestrone. Like I just, it's just so simple, so easy. And like you said, it like, it ties to your heritage. It ties to like what you've got like i just love that as a as a title for an album thank you yeah i think you might be right in the pronunciation i'm also like a new a new york italian so we butcher like even our own we butcher a lot of pronunciations but uh yeah that's gonna be the title for like that leftovers type project and then i'm working on i got a project coming in july that is a reworking of the living game that i uh but it's sample free uh, this time everything is sample free and I've got a couple bonus tracks that are going to be lead singles and videos. The bonus tracks are brand new top to bottom. Um, and I'm going to really try to land, you know, this one w- in some nice licensing situations, um, get some of that mailbox money from landing music and film. And, you know, that we're, we're taking that shot. And then I'm working on a project with uh, Stu Bangas, um, who's produced for Vinnie Paz, for, Sean Price for apathy for, you know, name a lot of the underground heavy hitters and, and Stu has work with them. He just did a, he did a project not that long ago, with like Bobo from Cypress Hill. He's working on a project with Tapadonna. He's done a bunch of stuff with O'Bill. Um, and that project, I can't say who, but that project's going to be like a lot of big name features is going to be, I would call it, me on like my aficionado rap like really just banging fire beats and me rapping in the most dense dope way i possibly can 
not even thinking about concepts, just like this is the illest shit that I can do next to the illest people that I admire the most. And that'll be one. And then I have one that's the polar opposite of that, that I've been slow cooking. That is like a highly personal, more contemporary, no features, kind of dark in my head stuff that musically is entirely different. So I'm really excited for the next 18 months or so. I think people and myself are, are in for a bit of a ride here. So should be good. Feels like you're, you're just letting go now. Like you've, you've gone, you're like, all right, I'm ready to really start flexing. Like I'm really ready to just like do all this different shit. And Vinny Paz to me has one of the best voices in hip hop. It's so rough. And he does hear the music that he does so well because he's got such a like, and like I showed my brother and my brother was like, it's too rough for me. And I get that, but it's also so unique. And I love a unique voice. I think that's what made all the greats who they are. Like Biggie has such a unique voice, Method Man, such a unique voice that like they just, those unique voices make artists that next level in terms of just like you hear it and you know who it is. Lil Wayne, another one, um, Cardi B as well. She has such a unique voice as well. Like you just know it's Cardi B. As soon as she gets on the mic, you're like, I know who that is. And I think that's part of like what makes a rapper really stand out is like the voice is such a key part. I agree. I agree. Uh, I, Vinny, yeah, he's fire. I, I was a big Army of the Pharaohs fan. Um, like apathy is, I also, I think has a very distinct voice and, uh, just a face melting bars and flow. And just like, I, I'm not going to lie though. Like I want him on the project. Right. And I've seen other people talk about being on songs with the Vinny Paz's and the apathies of the world and, and their heroes and like being happy to get burned. And I'm like, no, like I want to burn them. Like that's where I'm at. Like, that's what that's what Kobe wanted to do to Jordan. You know what I mean? Like that's, and I'm not saying that that's where I'm at or that's where anybody is, but like, I think that's the mindset. Like if you're going to do this shit, like I'm not, I'm not about to get murdered on my own shit. Like that's not happening on my wall. <laughs> like, you know, like that's, you got to have that attitude. You want to be better than, than those individuals. And I, you're right though, about me with the letting go thing. I got to a point, I still have reverence and I have appreciation for Joel and, the Jaron Bentons and like just these icons that I've been fortunate enough to stand next to and sound like I belong on a record with. But there was a time where maybe I would be happy to be there and like, just like meek in the surroundings. And now I'm like, no, I belong here. Like this, I belong here. And I'm going to keep rapping next to people like that and holding my own until everyone realizes that I belong there. Like that's, that's my next 18 months. That's my plan. Uplifting the program, putting out fire music next to my heroes and murdering that freestyle circuit. Like every chance I get that. Cause there's nothing to hide from there. That's a camera, the beat you and a legendary insert legendary host. That's like, Oh, this dude's not shit. <laughs> you know, when you get there. So what better? Like, it's like a fight, bro. Like that's what I love about it. It's like fighting without, you know, feeling like you got hit by a train afterwards, you know, like you get the same feels and the same rush and you get to prove yourself. And, uh, I love, I love this shit for that reason. It's the glad that's why I love Do you watch battle rap? Do you watch a decent amount of battle rap? I I've watched it before. 
but it's like it's so different from like everyone probably knows the Eminem battle rapping. It's not really that. Like that's movie style where it's like super clear and the beat. Like they're using uh, Mob Deep's. Um, oh, what's it called? I always forget the Shook One's part two. Um, yep. It's an iconic beat. You know, battle rapping is like really rough. There's like no hook. It's just like lyrics. But what is interesting about battle rapping is you can't make mistakes. Like it is, that's your time to shine. And if you fuck it up, it's going to be really tough to come back on because if the next person kills the verse, and it may not even be the best verse, but no mistakes, no mumbles, they didn't skip anything. It's always going to be a hard battle. But it is, I like the true test of like, now's the time. It's literally your verse versus mine. Winner takes all. Yeah, dude, that that is, I love it. Because yeah, if you fuck up, it's just like a fight. You get caught on the chin, like you're you're out. And but that one of the dopest things though that Crooked Eye just accepted a battle actually, or King Crooked just accepted a battle with Disaster. You know, one of the biggest battle rappers, and like King Crooked doesn't have to do that. And that's why these guys are who they are. Like he has nothing conceivably to gain. He's doing it to show who the fuck he is. And you got to admire that. Well, Slaughterhouse huh? had their show, their battle rap show. I remember watching right. where they would coach battle rappers and then they would, you know, score them. I personally think, like, I was reading afterwards that they knew all these people and so they had pre-existing relationships. So they kind of were biased in their scoring. But, like, and the show, to be honest, the show wasn't that great. I love all those dudes, but the show wasn't that great. Um, right. But it did show that, like, they're into it for sure. And they're about promoting it. And they're about like going, here's the roots of like a lot of what we do is it comes from battle rapping. Exactly. And those guys are like their craft first. Like they're like, they, I'll say this, Joel gave me a very reasonable deal with that verse. He gave me a deal. And I think, a lot of it came and he was involved in the process and we were making that song. Kobe Bryant actually passed away after we had already recorded the song. The song was made before he died because it was an uplifting kind of thing, you know, and then we had to communicate about how we wanted to go about it. That's why the video looks more like a tribute and it came out much later. But I say all this to say Joel Ortiz did not have to with somebody like me. He did not have to take the time to conceptualize or like to say, here's how we should handle this crazy, tragic situation. Like, you know, to give me that game and that input and to give me that deal, that dude did that because he cares about the craft. And if he sees someone who takes the craft seriously, you know, he does what he can, you know, you got to approach them the right way. But I always respect people like that. I feel like Lupe is the same way. I feel like Mickey Fax is that way. Like those guys are like, they're about they love rap bro they love rapping period and they love people who take it seriously and respect it and i think it's people like that and people like you who care about it that are going to keep this thing going no matter what like the good stuff will there will always be purveyors of quality hip-hop because there are too many people that care you know a great deal so whenever people that with this sky is falling hip-hop is dead f all this new shit like no the kids are they, every generation somehow gets fooled. The kids always like what the kids like, and it's always different. And it's always like 
their own version of punk rock, right? That's rebelling and like, we love this because you hate it. And it's always going to be there. But the classic shit, there's always going to be a market. There's always going to be people that love it and hold the torch. So I think hip hop's honestly in pretty good hands. I'm not one of those bitter old heads that thinks the sky is falling. I think hip hop's in great hands, honestly. I always say, I'm going to say this right now. Anyone who thinks hip hop is dead, you're straight up wrong. It's the biggest genre of music it's in the world. It's still the fastest growing and it's bigger than it's ever been. Just because it doesn't sound like 90s hip hop does not mean that it's dead. It means the genre is evolving and that's what you want. If it sounded like 90s hip hop, you would be annoyed because you heard that shit 30 years ago. It evolves. That's what makes it amazing. And yeah, you may not like all of it, but there's some good shit out there. You just got to be willing to find it, listen to it. And go back. You can still like 90s. You can like 2000s, the 10s. Now it's the 20s. There's no rules as to like, you just got to like one version. I have a playlist with Biggie, Big Pun, Mob Deep. And then I also have a playlist with modern rappers. I don't understand why not you you can't do that you don't have to pick a lane you can do whatever you want like okay young thug he doesn't do the same shit that big pun or biggie did but he sounds fucking awesome travis scott same thing i don't i've never understood this like kind of oh this is the best no it's just different there's no best it's like whatever you like that's the real thing is like so i i'm with you like just i think you know, get off your high horse. And sometimes it's your attitude. That's the problem, not the music. I agree. And honestly, man, like a few years ago, like there was the album, maybe I put out in 2017, a record or two, I'll take a little playful shot, a jab or two at whoever, but I don't, that's part of the game too, is that friendly sparring and that friendly shit talking and that, you know, but I don't have any, like, make what you're going to make and enjoy what you enjoy. I'm not going to say someone's less of an authority because they like, something modern yeah and that i think that's an issue i think that attitude is an issue um and it turns the youth off to you know some of the golden era stuff if a lot of who they perceive to be the gatekeepers of that time are are judgmental towards them why are they gonna why are you gonna meet that's like if you're if you're talking to a student it's like teacher hat again but if i'm gonna talk to a student first i'm going to address them with respect and look them in the eye and treat them like a human being if I talk down to them and yell at them, what kind of reaction do you expect to get in return? Like, I don't know. It's like basic human psychology that gets left at the door for some people. But um, I, yeah, I'm not concerned with, with, you're right about the genre would be closer to dead if it wasn't constantly evolving. And it really is more than any other genre constantly evolving. That's so true. I love other stuff too, though. I grew up with like alternative rock, like, Soundgarden, Nirvana, like even little like Rage Against the Machine, like you know, like I grew up listening to all of that stuff, Stone Temple Pilots, um, and I played with some bands. Like sometimes I would do shows with like a six-piece band. Recently, it's just been me, a DJ, and a drummer, which I really like. But I'm not like going to say it's out of the realm of possibility that at some point I don't do something that sounds like grunge rock hip-hop like i'd have to do it my way and have to be different and kind of true to my roots but i've always kind of wanted that 
I, I just got to know how to pull it off. And I think if I do pull it off, it's either going to be like the best thing I've ever done or like a flaming pile of shit. But like, I'm willing to take the chance. <laughs> uh, Hip hop has roots in, in rock. Like it, it took yeah. rock beats and, and people were rhyming over them. So there's, like we said, there's no thing that's like impossible in hip hop. That's why I love it. And I'm not going to lie. I've had to check my own attitude. So when I say things like what I said, like two minutes ago, I've also had to check my own attitude because I have my favorite albums. And sometimes I, I find my mindset going, this doesn't sound like that. And then I have to be like, no, you're being an idiot. You need to like open your mind again and, and not look at this for what it isn't look at it for what it is. And I think that's the true what I found personally, but I think it's a space where you should be trying new shit. Like if you want to do rap with rock beats or rock instrumentals, you should, because you don't know until you try it. That's, that's the reality of it. So like, if you feel like that's what you want to do, then I think all power to you. I appreciate that. Well, you look at like, I was fortunate enough on one of the uh, Chuck D is like supported my stuff on his, his program. Right. And you look at what somebody like Chuck D has done with like beyond like public enemy, even like stuff that it has that harder rock tinged, even like an iced tea, right? Like some, a lot of those hip hop, like luminaries did stuff in the rock space. Also be real, you know, like the prophets of rage stuff. Right. So you're right. There really are no rules or look at the beastie boys even, right. Or run DMC with Aerosmith crossover very early on like yeah dude it's all it's all there it's all part of the same blueprint um i have to ask now that you said it uh what are your favorite albums like if you have your five or so your three to five uh, people ask me for my favorite song and i don't have a favorite song because i like all music but like get rich or die trying has a special place to me it may not be the best album of all time, but it has a special place for what it is to me. As we said at the beginning of the show, um, I love capital punishment by big pun. I talk about big pun so often on this podcast. Um, I, I re I started re listening to um, Biggie life before death. That was to me, such an amazing album. Um, like, like you can see nineties hip hop, you know, early two thousands hip hop is, kind of what I gravitate towards. Um, but I tell you what, the the one that changed kind of my perspective was um if you're reading this, it's too late by um Drake. That really it changed my mindset about modern hip hop. Like he got some slapping beats. He just he was really going for it. Like that made me become a really big Drake fan. Um, it's not like my favorite album of all time, but it was one of those albums that was like an entry into modern music. Um, I, yeah, I just think that like, and I listen to modern stuff. I like Pop Smoke, you know, obviously rest in peace, Pop Smoke, but like he did some cool shit again, cool voice. He did some interesting things. Um, yeah, I think there's just a plethora. Like you can list so many albums that like are really good. And I think we don't consume albums the way we used to. I think that's the real difference now is like, we don't look at an album from start to finish anymore. We kind of look at it for its singles and then pick out the best bits so I can put it in a playlist. Whereas like 20 years ago, it really was like a project. Let me see, start to finish, album construction. How does one track lead into another? Where are the skits? You know, the skits built at the beginning of the song. Are they at the end of the song? Like how's your outros? All that kind of stuff. 
And it feels like that's less important right now. So, But I think with people like Kanye, obviously Kendrick released his album, them having concepts for their albums is bringing back the album construction, the importance of having a vision from start to finish. I, I agree with you. I love that we still have al- album artists because obviously the English teacher side of me is like the album is a novel. and like, what, what literary and poetic devices are you imploring? There's like my technical writing brain and my technical music brain. So I'm always like thinking about the two of those things when I'm listening, but I like those choices, man. I think pop smoke is interesting for you because his cadence is kind of reminiscent of 50, you know? So if you've got the get rich or die trying roots, it makes sense that a lot of people in New York were like pop smoke is in a lot of ways, the next 50. So it was really tragic that he did. He did pass so young. Um, but that's pretty cool, man. I, uh, for me, um, reasonable doubt by Jay-Z's is up there for me. That's definitely one of my favorite albums. Um, the high exalted by copyright, uh, was really one. I heard like that. And then like lyricist lounge volume two, uh, is kind of what put me on artists like Wordsworth, um, who I just recently recorded with, um, down at South by Southwest, we had a few events together and surreal to just be in a hotel room recording with one of my heroes. And one of the people that I listened to when I listened to copyright and I listened to Wordsworth, I was like, and got that taste of the underground, I guess at the time, that's what made me like, okay, buddy, like you're not shit. Like your pen is nothing. Like you need to really step your game up. I love all of those albums. Um, let's see. I really, I, I like I like a lot of like big uh, biggies. Yeah, Life After That. This is a great album. I would say my favorite though, the seminal album for me would be the score from the Fugees, um, because that's what got I realized me. Realized that uh, I said his album wrong. It's Ready to Die, is the album. I just okay. I think I said Life, Life After Death. Life After Death's another album. Yeah, um, Ready to Die, the first one. That's that's the one to me that really stands out. Um, and as you were talking, I was like, oh, "Shit, I didn't mention Hell on Earth by Mob Dave." There are so many, there are so many albums. Like, it's hard to. That's why I say I don't really have a favorite one. It just depends what mood I'm in. Um, but how is it? I was actually going to ask, how is it recording with your heroes? That to me is like, it's like such a, it's like a powerful thing, but it's also like a real thing and you're like, I now see them as people again, almost like your students and you as the teacher, like they're no longer just an artist, they're a person and you see how they really are outside of like the lyrics and the songs that they put out. Yeah. They're, they're in your, um, they're in your phone. Like now you can text them, like you see them go through their process and it might not be that different from yours. You can have those like, how do you write conversations? You could see how they go through their stuff. And it is this weird dichotomy between they're not, I don't want this to come out wrong. They're not Superman necessarily anymore. Cause you see that they do it a lot like you, but it makes them even more endearing when they're cool. You know what I mean? Like it elevates them further. It's like, they're not on the pedestal of being the superhero necessarily anymore. Cause you realize you might be, like in my case, I very much do feel like I belong in these conversations now as far as how, how where I'm at now with my skill set. But like them being cool people on top of that and wanting to share tricks of the trade with you and share trade connections and trade opportunities. And like when they become your peer, 
and they don't have a superiority complex about it, you know, which has been the case. Basically, I've been very lucky, knock on wood, like any of mine have been very, very cool and very down to earth, but it just elevates them, man. Like you're just that much more grateful and you smell the roses that much more that you're like something I did like makes this the fact that, you know, you got yourself to a point where they feel it's okay to be doing these things with you is pretty fucking cool, man. And I mean, I've, I've paid a bunch of them for features, but then recently there's been a couple where it's been more just like, this is a even trade now. Like I'm going to be on this record and that's the real holy shit moment because it's like, Oh wait. So what am I? Oh, I'm not. Oh, this is just, we're just doing, okay. We're just doing this. All right. Like that, that being unsaid is a real, like, I don't know. That's some pinch me shit, man. Like that's the, that was the real checkpoint because sending money, it still feels transactional to a degree, right? You're doing what you got to do. It's professional. But when it becomes like your friend or like, and you're just working, you know, like I got you on a verse when you need one, vice versa. Like that's crazy. Cause then it's, I, they will always be above me in my head. Like I'll sound, I can say I sound like I belong on a record with them, but they'll always be above me in my head, how I view them. I'll always be looking up in that way. But like, to feel like you're, they want to do it for free or just to do it, to do it with you. That says something about your skills and how they feel about you. And that's just like, that makes me feel like if I were to expire tomorrow, God forbid, like I've done it. I've done enough. Like with this, like I've made it with my definition of making it. And I never thought I would. So that's how I feel about it. I don't know. It's everything. Mutual benefit. I think that's what it is. Like, it's very cool to see mutual benefit. And when they think that like them working with you is going to benefit them in a different way, I think that's awesome. And I think it goes back to like when we were talking about you want to beat the artist on any track. I personally have always thought you should not pay an artist who is a thousand times better than you to be on your track because what it does it does bring your music into the eyes of others, but it exposes you for your flaws. Because if you have a legendary artist murder you, why would anyone check out your shit? Because you got a direct comparison. And people don't like this about hip hop, but most hip hop fans compare the verses. That's oh yeah, that's what I've seen. Which verse was the best? So if you get murdered, and this is the one feature you put a lot of money into getting this feature for argument's sake, let's say method man. Cause he does a few features, but if you put a lot of money towards that and he kills you, it's rough because the fans oh, are like, fuck method man's on this. I got to check this artist out. And then they listen to that and they're like method just destroyed the beat, destroyed you on it. So I think sometimes you got to hold back and be know where you're at. Working your way up is an important step. You don't want to reach too high because it's like you're just going to get hurt and then you've got to start all over again, rebuild credibility. And they're like, and then people know who you are because they're like, I remember that track and didn't work. You just hit on the head a lot of the reasons why I'm happy it's taken me as long as it has to get here. Because again, if it happened 10 years ago or 15 years ago, I'd feel way more likely to get cooked. <laughs> than I do now. I, you know, I feel very confident I won't get cooked now because I know what I can do. 
and but back then it was i don't want to i hate this is the word bravado right like it was more of that you know 15 years ago than it is now like now it's justified in a lot of ways but you're entire you're entirely right i actually the other day i sent one out and i was kind of i sent the verse out and i'm honestly i'm feeling this i sent it out to a monster and i was like i feel fine just sending this out like whatever they do i know that i've done the best i can do on that and that was a cool moment too i wasn't like oh i gotta wait till they do theirs or like that whole thing i was like no this is the best me like this is the best me right now like whatever happens and it's what you just said people compare so with said person maybe they some people think they got me but i know there are going to be people that think i got them too so that's okay but they do that with groups man i was in a group and it was the same shit it's like this person got this on this person and you when you're making music on a battle rap record right that's cool like let's all try to smoke each other like subconsciously nobody's saying it but you're all thinking it but when you're making a conceptual song or a song that's just meant to feel good you got to block that shit out you got to think about what serves the record what's fun what feels right and that could be hard as in a competitive sport because you're always thinking about your best time on the track right like your best personal lap time right so like you got to Yeah, you got to block out that on certain records, you got to let go of that and it becomes more of an aesthetic and what serves the song. So more tightrope walking for well, sure. In a group, there's always the superstar. There's always one who like leads from the front. There's, it's, it's just the natural because us as humans, we're like, who's the leader? Who's the, <laughs> like, everyone's like, okay, we get it. You're a group, but like, who's the number one? So it's like, and it may not even be internally. It's just externally it's decided. So I think you're definitely right. It depends on the project itself. But if you're on a cipher, you better come with hate. You oh my better bro. come with hate. I've always got stuff uh, on deck, man. I'm excited for the one we're doing tomorrow. It's pretty, that's pretty cool. It's, it's solid heat, but I'm also saying some heavy, meaningful things in it. So I'm, ex- I'm excited, but you're right. Like, yeah, with our group, that was always, that was always a thing. And, Who's going last in the cipher? Whoever goes last, it's assumed is the closer and has the most, you know, has the most punchlines, the most crazy bars, whatever. I try to make every line count, though. Um, I don't believe in filler like that way. Like, I think if you're writing a verse and you say like half of this is whatever, like, eh, should be back to the drawing board, man. Well, you don't make the cut. That's what I personally think. You shouldn't make the cut. But actually, the... I did also want to ask you, I did notice on your Instagram, you followed by Kanye. How's that? I mean, <laughs> that must have been a pretty cool moment. Like there's a, a, do you remember the notification? Like, I know we spoke that like, you know, there's cloud and like, we don't really want to get into it, but like Kanye only follows like 7,000 people, which is more than I thought he would, to be honest. But like that ratio of you're in the 7K like that must be pretty cool when you look and you're like, he still follows me. <laughs> yeah, dude. Uh, I do remember that notification. I was in the bathroom. Uh, <laughs> I remember where I was. And I remember texting my brother from the John essentially and being like, uh, dude, <laughs> look at this. Uh, yeah, that's pretty cool, man. And I messaged him once and I didn't hear back. It's Kanye, but like to even say to ascertain from that okay he knows who i am presumably wow 
Like, yeah, what do you even fucking say about that? And I grew up on, we were talking about favorite albums, right? College dropout. Like, you know, I mean, the guy, say whatever you want about him being a polarizing figure, but you talk about the greatest performers, producers in the history of the genre. He's like him or hate him. He's in the conversation. It's not even something that can really be debated, right? Um, the influence he's had on multiple generations, like he's an icon. So that was cool. Uh, that Talib Kweli is another one, you know, like that's crazy. And we've interacted a bit and like, I, yeah, dude, I, those are things that happen. And I'm like, okay, like, but did that turn it when it, when he sends me a DM and says, Hey, come to the, uh, come to the cabin in Wyoming for, for two weeks. Then I'll really, then I'll, I'll, I'll shoot you a DM and I'll say, okay, now it's, now it's turning into something. <laughs> Take me with you. I'll, I'll come with you. I'll be like, sorry, I'm the guy who carries his bags. <laughs> hey, financial advice. Financial advice. We're, we're working yeah, on yeah, some yeah. bank stuff. Yeah, we're working on uh, Talib. Do you need me to to talk to you about some credit cards? Do you need some help with that? <laughs> I think, uh, yeah. I'm not, honestly, it, it's one of those things where like, you know, when you reached out to me, it was also like, okay, it's I'm heading in the right direction. Like those those moments of like, I'm doing something good. Like it, it's, and we like objectively and subjectively, you know, you're doing something good, but when someone who's recognized and who's also, you know, ahead of the game and, and really doing well, it's like, it's, it's just a little nugget in, and it can come at like the period where you're like, you're having self doubt or you're having in a period that's rough and it tends to come at those moments. And it's just a reminder of like, no, you're on the right path. Keep going. 1000%, bro. No, I, uh, I forget which clip. It might have been Necro that I saw. And I just, I don't know, dude. I could just tell you, you love the genre. You seem like a straight shooter, very authentic, like producing a lot of dope content with a lot of people that I was aware of. And I was like, this just looks like something that would be fun to do. Um, and it was like as simple as that. And that's interesting too, because I don't reach out like a ton either. Um, but yeah, man, it just made, so like, I'm happy to see you doing what you're doing and I hope you continue to crush it and get to, you will, like maybe it'll be Talib in my, in my seat here soon enough, or, you know, it, it will be, I think what you just said is the key is like those moments of doubt all, you know, they creep in and those seeds you plant with the work that you put in tend to grow in those moments that's really really fucking true it really is like because this is a as you know you produce a lot of content you push like it's a it's a process it could be a lonely one it could be people don't understand this like and you have yourself to count on you know and but i think that's the beauty of this genre and putting in the work in this culture is that that comes back to you and pays dividends it really does so i'm happy to be a part of this and to like i'm looking forward to seeing your platform continue to like to grow like because i i'm confident that it's going to happen you seem to be doing great already so i appreciate it and it always like i, I don't like us like we said we don't do it for the feedback but i always appreciate um when artists like what i do and it's funny because you know the necro interview i actually reflect on it and i don't think i perform that well on it like I thought that was a challenging, he's a challenging individual and I probably wasn't mentally prepared for the topics that he discussed to come up. Like I know what he raps about, but I wasn't prepared for it to head in that direction. And like, 
it got quite dark. And so for me, it was like, I reflect and I'm like, I needed to be in a different place and I needed to control the interview a little bit better. Cause he definitely went on long tangents and that's just who he is. But it was like, all right, that was a big learning piece, but it's interesting that you saw a clip from that. And that's the one that made you reach out when in reality, I look at it. And again, it's the self critic. It's like the, the, you know, I just want to continue getting better. And that's the one that's like, for me, it was like, all right, you learned a lot from that. We don't want that experience to happen again, where you're just surprised. That you're entirely right about. I saw when like Pat stay from King of the Die interviewed him too. And he can be a tough guy to, <laughs> to, to reel in, but at the same time, he's a phenomenal producer and is somebody anyone with an affinity of underground hip hop is well aware of and, and respect. So to even have that on your resume is still a big deal, but like, I, yeah, I enjoyed what I watched and it, you saying that it, it's analogous to kind of what happens in music too. My, my manager and I went to a radio interview, maybe a month and a half, two months ago. And we knew what records we were going to play while we were there and being interviewed. And there was this one and he goes, you're bringing that one. And I was like, yeah, like, I think we should bring it. He's like, oh, it's this kind of show. Don't bring that one. And I was like, no, trust me. Like, let's just do it. Like we're pushing that next. That was the one that he was like, I'm putting this in rotation. And it was like the least likely, at least from our perception for him to like, but it was the one he loved. Like he instantly loved it. So you can like, that's that whole thing with your art and with your interviews, whatever your art is, it's just like, put it, put it out there. Like put it out. Cause you don't know what interview is going to stick. You don't know what song is going to stick. Cause that's still at the end of the day. Like, of course, you know, your art better than anyone, but you like interviewing your art. So you're always going to be your own worst critic at the same time. And what shines to somebody else might not be what shines to you. So it just goes to show volume. And knowing you're at a certain quality now that that volume is going to do something for you. Like, so it's kind of, it's kind of dope that it shakes out that way. Yeah, it is. And to be honest, there is a delay in when I record and when I release. So if you think you spot mistakes, I spotted mistakes a month ago that I've been thinking about for a month already. So like, (laughs) you'll never catch me on like the things that I'm trying to work on. Um, And people... And there are things like little words that I say, phrases that I say that I notice um, when I get stuck. And those are little things that, again, unless you're going to critically analyze my work, you won't pick those those up. But I will because I listen to every single one. I know after I say it, that's how ingrained. And it's like with, with anyone, like especially as a rapper, I'm sure there are words that you want to say better, that you want to be able to accentuate a little bit better. There are words that you just roll over too quickly. There are, you know, punches. Maybe it's a pause. You want to let things hit a little bit differently. It's like these are all the things we already know about. And you you will, as a consumer, will pick up on them after I'm done already. I already know these things. So, like, <laughs> it is definitely interesting to, to hear when sometimes people close to you are like, I've noticed you say this, and it's like, yeah, trust me. I notice as well. I've been saying that for a long time and I'm still working on it. So wait another couple of weeks. Maybe the next interview will be better because I'll be working on that. So um, it's definitely a, a, an interesting process to like continue, continually put things out and then you're always trying to get better. But also 
I always get surprised with what people like. I feel like now I don't really 100% know what people love. Like there are different clips that I put out, clips that I never thought people would really gravitate towards. They do. And clips that I personally love that I don't gravitate towards. I had this one with, um, I think it was dub work. And we were talking about Puerto Rican food. Had like 60,000 views and people were like commenting on Puerto Rican food. And then I had one that was just like falling asleep in a movie theater. And everyone was like, fuck yeah, man, I fall asleep in a movie theater as well. And I was like, <laughs> what's happening? But, you know, it is what it is. I think people just like the genuineness of it. I tend to agree. Yeah, you never know. You never know what they're going to gravitate towards. I used to find myself getting stuck on my words a lot more when I would do interviews and like, or I would do an interview and I would like trip over something I said, or I didn't come off that articulate here. People are going to think I'm dumb or I don't know what I'm talking about. And I'm like, any, then I hit, had an epiphany and i'm like any logical person any intelligent person will know all of us are not going to say the perfect thing or avoid the tangent or these are you're judged by the totality so like let it fly and people the people that are meant like you said early way on early on whoever's meant to gravitate towards it and to stick with it will and that piece i know i'm not a perfect interview subject but like i've gotten a lot better because i don't I don't overthink anymore. I kind of just speak my truth or what I think is my truth at that moment. To be honest, I think you're not even close to the most challenging ones that I've done. So um, <laughs> I wouldn't be that hard on yourself. I've done some tough ones. I've done ones at a nail salon, literally with kids screaming in the background. I've done so many strange places. I had once, I didn't even do the interview. The guy, we connect and he's like, hey man, I'm about to jump on a train. And he got on the train. He never came back. We, I didn't what? record one second. That's it. That was done. And I was like, cool. Trial by fire. You know, it is hip hop. When I, I knew what I was getting into signing up, like, it's not like, you know, we're dealing with TV execs and they're professional and they're like, this is not that world. People are more professional than others, but I've had some interesting things and I'm just like, you know what? Put it out. It shows that like, what you go through to do it. And I'm like, if I can do it like that, I've had people in moving cars, it cuts in and out because of where they are on the road. They go under a bridge and I've had ones where the lighting sucks. So like it started in the day and it's like an hour later and they're pitch black. <laughs> and so you can't see shit. And it's like, I don't, I'm just talking to a silhouette right now. So, <laughs> but I think that's all part of the fun. I can't, and I don't expect it all to be perfect. I had Mickey Fax on the show and he was eating pretzels and shit like that. And like, you know, I, I get it in a way, like, because I'm still coming up. So it's not like they're going on, you know, Sway in the morning. They wouldn't do that with Sway. But I also know that for them, like it, it is, you know, a bit of like, I'm lucky to get them on my journey. And I always think of myself as like, I'm just lucky that I get to do this in general and I have to cut it out. But like, it's kind of the fun of it as well is like when they're a bit, little bit nonchalant, they're not ready in a way. They're not like in that mode of like, all right, I'm selling now. They're just themselves. And I kind of just really like that about it. So sometimes the audio will be a bit shit, but at the same time, I get the genuine person rather than the show that they're putting on. I love that. And I think people love to see warts and all. People love to see like what it really, that's why things like live streaming go so well. Cause like there, I think it's that like in the moment, like some, a lot of people, like, almost a voyeuristic tendency of wanting to just see it 
for what it is. So I agree with you. I think that's a great like silver lining if you get somebody that maybe someone else would say was being a little Hollywood or whatever. Um, that's cool. Also had people wear sunglasses. And it's like such an interesting choice. But I also love it because it's <laughs> like you're inside in your home and we're doing this over Zoom. And it's not like to me, couldn't care less. Whatever. You want to wear sunnies? Wear sunnies. Go for it. But like, I love the choice. Some people put lighting, like f- like flashing lights, and it's like, okay, you just you're just doing this. Yeah, I've literally had it all. Like, I've had ones where like it just cuts out halfway through, like it literally cuts out, and I have to reconnect and finish the end of it like two weeks later, which is also a really weird experience because you don't have the same energy. Like the things that we've fostered now in the conversation, we're at a point where like we're very comfortable. If we were yeah. to reconnect in two weeks, the same comfort isn't there. It has to be rebuilt over time. Like we'll be comfortable, but it's not the same. You don't have the flow of the conversation. There's just like, it's like when you see a friend, you kind of like know them, but you still need to warm up a little bit. That warm up's done where like now we're running. So when I had to do it again, it was like, I can definitely feel the difference. Yeah, that makes a lot of. I, I my little rules of thumb, I guess I try, and I know it's not perfect. I'm like, plug the phone in so it doesn't die. Um, and have solid lighting, and be somewhere where your stature is comfortable, like leaning back or whatever, so I'm not moving constantly and things like that. You've got a great setup where you are right now. Like, I don't. I'm just literally in my bedroom, but I think extending that level of cons uh, of consideration uh, is is nice. Uh, so I try to keep to that, regardless of what's going on. Just seeing how I started, man. This is was not all all the time. I had the my first interviews. I had the worst mic. It's like 150 bucks. Shitty mic. The camera was the computer camera. I had a shitty computer. It was just budget as shit. That's how. I, but then you just upgrade, and just slowly over time you upgrade. So now it looks way better and way more professional. Like I've got a couch for when I can do it in person. I've got like all the equipment ready to go. Um, I bought, you know, one of those sunlight things. Like you just, you just slowly over time ramp up. And I think it's the same with you. Like you probably would have recorded in your bedroom the first time or like somewhere that is not meant for recording. And then you slowly work your way towards being more professional, doing it with more money. Like it's just the process of, of getting better. Yeah. By the first mixtape, it was the second mixtape, but it was the first mixtape I put out with like art and stuff. It was in my mom's basement and I like ripped the CDs on my parents' computer. And like, there's a song on the first song. You hear me yelling at my brother to go upstairs. <laughs> <laughs> it's still there. It's there forever. Like I left it, you know, like I love that you I called, left it in. Yeah. I said, get upstairs, motherfucker. I like yell motherfucker at the end of it. And I just left it on there. I was like, I must've been 17 or 18, you know? And, uh, I'll never get that back. I'm happy it's like that because that's a fucking time capsule, man. Like the best music or the best art is a time capsule. So you're right, though. Yeah. The studio I work out now out of now is like very professional, but also feels like home, you know. So my partner at the label is an engineer. He used to be a teacher, but he's an engineer and a producer. So and he's the first engineer that really has gotten my sound right to me Um, because I don't have a voice that I don't just register bassy. And I'm not like, I kind of like fluctuate a lot, you know, from higher to lower registers and not every engineer can handle it. He calls it like 
with me, he says it's like Cyclops when they gave Cyclops the thing to control his lasers. <laughs> uh, and I think it's accurate, man. He's the first one that's got me to control the laser beams like all the way. So uh, that journey has been fun. But yeah, I started in my mom's basement. The sound was ass. Everything was shit. I was like mixing on a 12 track, like live mixing and then calling that done after spending like fucking 20 minutes on it. Like no EQ, like, but wouldn't have it any other way if it sounded amazing it wouldn't have been what it I, you know what i mean like i'm i'm happy it is the way that it is honestly i'm not ashamed of it it never does sound amazing that's the whole journey that's the whole point that's what people forget and that was that piece we were talking about that like that's the journey you went on so you got to kind of go through something similar where it's got to suck you know i i listen to a lot of comedians podcasts and they're always like you've got to bum you have to. There's no such thing as like everything you do is going to be great. You have to eat shit so that you learn how to get better. That's part of the process. It's not about failure. It's about not quitting. That's what the journey really is. It's not about the mistakes that you make because I've made so many mistakes. I always do. I constantly continue to make them, but it's like, all right, I learn. All right, next time I won't make that mistake. Next time I'll do this better. And I think that's just part of it is like, and that's just the mindset I've really been trying to work on is just like, you can make mistakes. Don't be scared to make mistakes. Be scared to say I'm stopping. That's what I'm truly fearful of. That That's accurate. That's accurate. A good buddy of mine in the Baltimore scene, it looks like he, well, he just said, I saw it on like Facebook today. He was saying he was taking a break or quote unquote quitting or whatever. I hope he's not because he's brilliant, but I think he just feels kind of beaten up right now. And like, his art, um, he said something, it was like serving pearls to swine, essentially. Like he feels like he's just not, what he's doing is not appreciated. And that's hard as an artist with as many years in the game as he has. So I hope he doesn't quit. Um, but this is, as we've said a multitude of times, is not for the faint, faint of heart. And he's not that, but like he just feels kind of beaten up right now, I think. And uh I don't know. I got to shoot him a line of encouragement later, actually. Um, I got to dive deeper into some of your older stuff, but a couple of the, there's a couple Australian rappers that I, I knew through, well, I don't know them personally, but I heard them through battle rap. I was wondering if they were still around or how, if you interviewed them. So I figure I'll ask uh, 360. I know three, 360 was huge for ages. I'm, I'm not sure where yeah. he is currently. I'm not, I'm not a huge Aussie hip hop fan. And the only reason okay. is because they sound like me. I don't want to hear my fucking voice. And also because I've grown <laughs> up listening to American voices. So it's a little bit like I'm getting used to it more. But 360 was really big. I actually saw him open for Eminem um, when Eminem came around. I'm not sure what he's doing right now. Um, yeah, he was one of the big names for a while, actually. But I haven't, I haven't had, uh, I definitely want to speak to him, but I haven't had the chance to interview him. Justice? Uh, no, I've interviewed uh, Optimistic MC and Johnny P with the two Aussies that I've interviewed. Um, no, I got to give them a look. I haven't heard them. Uh, they're both really good. They do completely different sounds. Optimistic MC, surprisingly, when I was looking at his credits, he's got a lot of artists that he's worked with. Um, he's just like a a grungy kind of Aussie hip hop guy. And then Johnny P does it all. He's got like some really nice flows. He got some really like modern, interesting instrumentals. Um, but we got, there's definitely a wave of Aussie hip hop that's coming out. Chilling it is one of those people who's doing 
a really good job. Um, it's just starting to grow more and more and more. And I think it's following like the grime wave in the UK. Um, obviously they're doing their own sound. I think everybody's starting to do their own sound, but I got it for myself, start diving a little bit deeper and get over my own like kind of accent um, disparity. That's fair. That Well, what you're saying is kind of part of what draws me to it because I'm like, God, that sounds different than me. So I'm like, this is cool. And I get into like, I'm fascinated by some slang and topics and I'm just like, this is, this is new for me. So I would like to dive uh, a bit deeper, even UK grime and stuff. I don't really know much about it, but it just sounds fucking cool to me. It just sounds like the visceral, the visceral element speaks to me. And that's how hip hop, that's how I, gravitated towards hip-hop it's not like when i listen to the fujis which is like part of its politically charged and like really heavy shit from like haitian american immigrants right like i didn't fucking know that when i was in fifth grade like i heard killing me softly in the baseline and like fuji law and i'm like this is amazing i'm into it but i didn't know that the other side of it so to me now like if it draws me visceral, that's music though, I guess in general, right? If the visceral reaction is there and if you find it then pleasing on the ear and you're rocking with it, then you dive deeper, you know? So like, that's where I'm at with like some of the grime stuff. I'm like, I want to know what this actually is, you know, but I'm not there yet. Yeah. I love the accent for it. Like it just, I know I've always loved the British accent in like with hip hop parts. There's just something about it. Like, I'm not a fan of when British artists try put on an American accent because what they have is good. Use your accent, use what is given to you. But I think that's what hip hop does uniquely is like, you have your own voice, use that. You don't need to put on a different voice. Whereas like you hear, and I hear it in Aussie artists, like Australian singers sound American because that's what they're conditioned to do in terms of like, what sounds quote unquote good. I don't hear the Aussie accent when you sing. I don't hear the British accent when you sing, but it's still there. It has to be there. It doesn't make sense that it disappears. So that's obviously something they're working on. Wow. I see. Yeah. I guess that's my own like ignorance as an American that I've never really thought about that, that that being a thing that like desire to sound that way. Cause that's, what's expected. Um, that's a co- very common. I mean, I'm assuming so. I don't really listen too much, but like Aussie artists, I don't, I think it's also harder to tell when you sing because you're already changing your voice and you're reaching higher notes. But I think like, like Lily Allen, the British singer, she has a uniquely British voice when she sings. You can hear. Mm-hmm. And so if she has, and that made me think, I listened to her and I was like, if I can tell you're British when you sing, it makes me think that there are a lot of, other artists from different places putting on an Americanized voice or they're changing their own voice to be more palatable for a wider audience. That's a logical train of thought and it's probably so. Yeah. Whether it's right or wrong, they'll have to reach out and tell me, but that, that, yeah, that was just my, my own thought experiment. So that's now my opinion on it, but like it kind of makes sense that way. And I love that hip hop doesn't have that expectation that you're just yeah. like, you do you. And that's all we want. Yeah, I yeah, I agree. And that is one of the things I, I, I do think, that's why with the program, we're like with the kids, like we go out of our way to stress like 
to schools, to whoever's to the news, to whoever, like, no, we're not censoring. Like why would, especially kids that grow up in a tough environment as it is like, what literally, what would be the point, you know, like let their, they want to be heard. Like the best way for a voice to emerge is to like put as few restrictions on it as possible. So yeah, I, I love the rawness of the acapella side of it and the poetry side of it. I was considering even with things, regardless of like how things are going in my rap career, I was starting to consider doing like open mics again, but not so much to try hip hop material to do more like poetry, like acapella in a room where like, maybe I don't even introduce myself with my rap name. Maybe I just use my name and just see how it feels and how it goes over in a room full of people who have no expectation and no idea who I actually am. Like, I think that you talked about the need to bomb again. Right. Or like the need to explore or, you know, cause then I feel like I'd get re reacquainted with what my voice actually was and where it is. Like I'd remove all the other shit, the clout, any kind of following, any kind of media, nice write up about you or interview that went well or any of that shit. It would just be me and them. And I don't, you know what I'm saying? Like giving myself that chance, I guess, to bomb, and also to get reacquainted because then if you fucking tear it down and you're like, Oh, things are in a good place. Or if something doesn't go well, it gives you a better indicator than a room full of your fans. And, you know, I think more than anything, you'll probably learn about your craft doing it. Yeah. Because it's different to what you, it's not rapping per se. It's like a similar skill set, but it is very different. So I, uh, yeah, I don't see how you could not benefit from it. Like I don't see the, the negative from doing an open mic from it's practicing it's another skill set you may want to do it to music next time as like a as like an interlude or something like that that's pretty common for people to do spoken word poetry in the middle of like you know albums i, I don't know I, th- I find it hard to see how it would harm your career it will just take obviously some time and just you know we got to put away our ego but i think that's a good idea i don't see how that would even go bad I, I'm pretty, I'll let you know if I do it, but I'm pretty set on, yeah, I'm pretty set on trying it over the summer. Like I've had a couple transformative experiences like that, like uh, with the Warped Tour Diary song, that video, that most recent video I did, like that centered around like two of my best friends passing away kind of suddenly, like right before and then during the tour and kind of getting through that and being like, okay, well, nothing is going to stop me now. But then the other thing was that before I get on stage, I used to have to drink, like I used to have to not get drunk, but like, I'd be like, okay, I need to have like three, four beers or something to like take the edge off. But then when I did the warp tour thing, I'm like, all right, buddy, like if you have three, four five beers before every show and you're doing 40 shows in a very condensed period, you're going to come back with a problem. Like you can't just depend on alcohol as a crush and drink every day. So I made peace with like, I'm like, okay, you're going to have to get rid of this crutch this summer. And you're going to be in cities where nobody knows who you are. And I did it. And I remember how good it felt. And I remember like wanting to bottle that, like to be like, I don't need this and I can do well in front of strangers. And like, that was a moment. And like, that I think is what I'm trying to recreate. I think with this poetry thing, like take down all the pageantry, there's no hiding behind a beat. There's no hiding behind your name, your crowd. Like it's just you and your craft, like you said, it can't be a negative. If anything, I'll come away with it with like watching the game film, right? Like this could have gone, but I'll film myself. Like, I don't know. It'll be humbling. 
and and good. So we'll, we'll give it a try. Maybe I'll wear a mask like MF Doom, but then. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that I mean that would be funny if you wore a mask, but like, yeah, I think that's why I like what I do because I don't plan. I'm sure you already know I don't plan my episodes at all. It's literally talking. So like, if I have no plan, it's impossible for you to have a plan, and that's what I and I and so. I'm surprised by half the shit that I say, but I also know that. And again, again, it's like the warm up, like the beginning to me. And it's like, and th- these are all things that I'm learning is like at the beginning of the conversation, we're warming up. We're like feeling each other out. You're trying to see, okay, do I get along? Like, what's the humor? Where are the jokes? Like, these are all the things that we're doing as social creatures. We're like, but now an hour and a half in we're we're warm. And we know exactly where we can go. We know there's no, all the barriers are down. Like you just dropped that you had two of your club best friends pass away and you said it in passing. That's like, you're comfortable with me to share that. So it's like, these are the things that, and I've had interviews that are like 45 minutes and it's like, it's just too short. We haven't, as we're, as we're ending, we have to cut it off. So it's like, these are the things that I'm learning from like, just talking to more and more people. And I'm sure you'll learn something very similar in obviously a different context when you're on stage, you know, doing the poetry is like, okay, there's things here that I didn't realize before of my craft. And so that's why I I really don't see how it could be bad for you. I really don't. Even if you film it and hate it, like you're still going to be like, oh, there's actually some gold here that I haven't utilized before. Or there's like a cadence here that I don't use ever because it's maybe slower than I've ever done, but it kind of sounds good. Maybe it will help me with this type of instrumental, or maybe it will help me do an acapella intro. And like, so I think it'll just open windows for the next level of your continued progression. I appreciate that. I, I agree. And that's like what I'm, that's what I'm hoping. I'm, I'm so fascinated by that kind of thing. Like I've thought even about doing like a uh, kind of a la like Quasimodo where it's like this, like, on a recorded side it's me but it's maybe pitched up or pitched down i like that non sequitur stuff like if i smoke maybe i hypothetically smoke a doobie before bed and i have some ideas and i just let it rip for a bit and then that's the song and i record it and like i put it out under this i'm this other guy at this point like he doesn't have a face he doesn't have anything fancy he just has a soundcloud page and he kind of just puts himself out there and like seeing where that goes that like that's the shit that makes me and the poetry thing we're speaking of that's the only way I can recreate the kid who is 17 jumping on stage for the first time to do battle rap competitions on beats that's how I can reignite that feeling that drew me to this shit and maybe love it in the first place is like and there's always a way you just got to be open-minded to being like you said to bombing to being humble to having somebody, if I do have that SoundCloud, be like, this fucking sucks. Like, whatever, you know, like, I don't know. But there are people who think the Beatles suck. And there are people who, you know, like, there's always going to be that person. So, yeah, I'm, I'm going to start trying some things and uh, see how it goes. Yeah, like I said, I don't see how it could go wrong. And I had a thought and it literally left my mind immediately. There was something that you said that sparked me and you know, this is what happens when you do it live and you don't really plan your questions. But um, but man, I've had an absolute pleasure to, to have you on the show. I only have one more question for you. Um, and we kind of talked about it at the beginning and you mentioned a few albums that you love. 
But if you had to recommend one album that everybody should listen to at least once to get an appreciation of any, any, it can be any genre of music. It cannot be your own work. What would it be? I got to lean on the, uh, the score from the Fugees uh, again. Um, I think it's an album full of singles and Lauren Hill with what she's doing on the R&B side, uh, as well as on the rap side, uh, Clef kind of in the producer chair and the artist chair prize, like being essentially the Ringo of the situation and just like killing it in the way he has to while being humble and not getting in the way of like the two egos in the situation. Uh, I'm always, I always have an affinity for groups. I, so I think it's one of the greatest hip hop albums ever from a group, but also with the R and B side can keep everyone interested, very visceral, but at the same time, very profound with what they're saying. And it's music of, you know, uprising in a way and saying things aren't okay here in this country. Things are all things are not equal. I know this sounds beautiful, but there's, the underlying stuff is still being said that needed to be said at the time. So there's the political element, the subtext, it checks every box for me. Um, like you said earlier about get Richard Die trying gun to my head. Do I think that's the best hip hop album ever? No. But for me, if the Martians landed and I'm like, you know, throw this, uh, you know, throw this in the craft and ride around to it uh, over the Bermuda triangle, I would pick, I'd pick the score, man. Yeah, for sure. That's a great choice. And you're the first one to pick the Fugees. I've definitely had people pick Lauren Hill, Miseducation of Lauren Hill, which is awesome. And, you know, the Fugees is obviously, you know, the the prelude, the prologue to her dropping the Miseducation of Lauren Hill. So I definitely think it's worth, if you love the Miseducation of Lauren Hill, checking out the Fugees and seeing her journey as like an artist. Um but yeah, no, I think fantastic choice. And as I said, absolute pleasure having you on the show. Um, you also had a single that dropped, Fountain of Zen. So please make sure you check it out. Is there anything you wanted to drop? Uh, anything you wanted to shout out? We kind of did it throughout the podcast, but any place where they can find you, obviously IG, we talked about Spotify, but any other places? Uh, I just want to say absolute pleasure over here too, man. This has been a fantastic conversation. I'm sure we'll talk again. Uh, informally etc and maybe formally again but uh, i have a new single coming out in june uh called i'm good uh it features concept uh and not Faye, and it's the lead single off the living game transplants really excited for that um that's the main thing beats not bullets uh you know we're doing a fundraiser right now we could always use all the help and the positive word uh to raise about the program and i like to say in terms of finding me I am not a uh, champagne poppy, so I'm not cute with uh, my uh, socials. I don't have that luxury. It is just MC Bravado everywhere, M-C-B-R-A-V-A-D-O. So, yeah, thank you. Anytime, and we'll definitely have to do this again. Like I said, I don't plan on quitting anytime soon. You're not quitting anytime soon. And when Talib steps up and invites you away, we'll definitely have to catch up after that. So uh, that'll be like the the easiest excuse ever, but definitely we'll stay in touch. Thank you. I'll make sure I tell, uh, you know, we tell Kanye to save a seat at the cabin. Yeah, well. shout out to Kanye. <laughs> Kanye, if you ever want to come on the show, I know that you're like reclusive and you hide, but like just low key, how good would it be to come on a rising podcast as opposed to an established one? 
it's no better way to do it. So, like, this is my pitch to Kanye. (laughs) I love it. (laughs) Thanks for listening to the show. Please like and subscribe and follow me on Instagram at the underscore hip hop hustle for upcoming podcast news. Also, don't forget to check out my Patreon under Hip Hop Hustle for exclusive content and to help support the show. Bye for now.